The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. You can support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is Ivarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. As much as I love practicing photography and making art, there is something very gratifying about doing photography in the service of others. Last weekend, I was in San Fernando, participating at a help portrait event, where I and several other photographers created family portraits for over 90 families. It's one of the most gratifying things I do with the camera. For many of these families, this is sometimes the first and maybe the only formal family portrait that they have the opportunity to sit for. So it's good to be reminded that photography can be much more than self-serving. The Hope Is Project is just such an effort that takes the power of photography to help people define and share how they see hope. And when you think about it, describing hope is no easy thing. But remarkably, with a camera, these people are able to illustrate what has allowed them to rise above some very difficult circumstances and provided them an opportunity to help others. The Hope Is Project is the baby of photographer Sarah Takako Skinner and her collaborator, Mark Rako. All right, Sarah, Mark, welcome to The Candid Frame. I'm real, it's a real pleasure to have uh, the both of, you, uh, both of you on. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're glad to be on. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. Uh, let's start off with you telling, telling me about the Hope Project. Uh, I, I was really intrigued by it. But uh, why don't we start there? In essence, the project, the uh, Hope Is Project, which can be found at hopeisproject.com and also on social media at Hope Is Project, is uh, essentially an extraordinary uh, artistic photographic project that seeks to capture and understand and explore the nature and power of hope. And, and all of its capabilities through an kind of innovative photographic process that started as an experiment and ultimately has become, in my view, uh, the very definition of art meets purpose. Uh, and in essence, we put cameras in the hands of people with compelling stories of adversity uh, for whom hope is elusive and give them a simple instruction, find hope and photograph it. And uh, in addition to that, Sarah captures their portrait in a, in a very kind of personal and, and uh, uh, careful process. That's, that's really not just a matter of getting a portrait, but it's, it's part of the process of allowing them to reveal the inner them. And through the process of simply looking for hope in this way, we have found that the participants uh, invariably, uh, I think pretty much every time, have found a, a dramatic increase in their sense of hopefulness, and, uh, first of all. And, and second of all, uh, it's been communicated to us that there are some views that this has a legitimate uh, prospect as a therapeutic tool uh, and data gathering tool in human services. So anything to add? Sarah? Uh, no, I mean, you nailed it. Um, it's not just about taking a photo, finding hope and taking a photograph. The, the unique characteristics of the camera is what makes it, it takes it to another level of art. Um, currently, we're using the Holga camera. That might change in the future, but currently that's what um, I have chosen. And the camera is, it's this, you know, it's a cheap plastic $25 little point and click um, that takes 120 film. And it's unique because it it has a lot of vignetting and it leaks light. You can do multiple uh, multiple exposures on one on one frame. And it allows people to be able to think about something that 
could possibly be very objective into something subjective. So in, for instance, um, they, they look at a tree perhaps and they say, that's hopeful to me that, that, that gives me hope or something. So they can use, they take that frame, take that photograph of the, of the, of the tree and then say, okay, then what else is hopeful? And so for instance, one of, um, our friends did a lot of self-portraits in conjunction with the multiple exposure of something else that represented. So you get a multifaceted image of, of what this could be. So it's not, there's so much room for interpretation and um, being able to analyze it in ways that you wouldn't think about if it was say a digital camera necessarily. So that's one of the unique aspects, and I think that takes it to um, the level of, of of art, as well as everything that it contrives of it combines of with now with Mar- finding hope, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, Mark in his description talked about it was started off as an experiment. Can you tell me a little more about uh, about about that? What what inspired it in the first place? Okay, so. Well, I first started this in 2006, and I wanted to discover what hope looked like to people. And it was sort of a research project for me. I was um, still in college, and I was doing my, it was, a, it was a thesis for one of my classes, and I wanted to discover what hope looked like to people who seemingly didn't have hope, or at least was in circumstances that would show me something. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I I chose three very, very different people in the same hospital at Harborview in Seattle. And I gave them a camera and I said, photograph what hope looks like, because I wanted to see if there was patterns of the type of imagery people photograph. And if there weren't patterns, but what did those look like? And the way I was able to control it was by saying, you have to stay on the on the hospital grounds. So that was how it first started. And, and then the question led to, did that process beget hope for you? Did, did that, did you, did that bring hope for you? Um, and then um, I was living in Paris and, and I wanted to study the nature of hope, but in a way that was quite dramatic in the sense that, I wanted to do this project with people that um, had a terminal illness, that they know they were going to die because you can't compete with death, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see what hope looked like to somebody who knew they were going to die because I wanted to learn. And I think that they could tell us things that maybe for those who are not there yet can, can learn and, and, and it was, okay, is there something here that not only they can discover in this new phase of their life, is this a tool, a gift that I can offer them to say, okay, you're in a new phase of your life, a very rare, special phase. What can you show us? What can you deliver us? What messages do you want to, to leave behind? Because the thing is, I believe when you get to that stage and you know you're going to die, there's a change. And I wanted to see what that change looked like. I wanted to learn that. And I wanted to show everybody else what that looked like. Not so much to teach anybody necessarily, but to bring it to life, give them something to leave behind. And I wanted to make it into a documentary and I wanted to put it with, um, I wanted to compare it with five, five different people at different ages of their life that had a terminal illness. And again, it, it was that same type of research, that same type of experiment is how do we cope with illness? How do we cope with tragedy? How do we cope with trauma? Can those people offer us insight about what's going on? 
And I think that's very, very powerful. And then the next question is, by, by doing that, does that bring them any relief? Does that give them any hope? Does that give them any sense of, I think salvation is a stupid word and it's not what I'm trying to say, but um, hope, I guess. <laughs> and so that's where that whole thing came from. And then when I moved to New York, um, Mark and I got together and we really got our heads in a space together where we were working very well. And we said, okay, let's set this up into something even bigger, even more grand. And mm -hmm. I was always very serious about it being, yes, it is an art project, but this is also like any art. It's also research. You know, most of the time as an artist, you're doing the art for some sort of research whether it be something inside of yourself or some questions that you need answered. And that's, uh, well, that's how it started, really. You know, when I'm explaining this uh, project and this endeavor to other people, one of, the, one of the analogies I often use, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think it paints the picture a little bit. There are people with, um, uh, what is it called, uh, body morphic or body amorphic uh, was, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know the exact term. I think term, it's about dysmorphic disorder. Thank you, thank you. That's yeah. what it is, uh, and and which obviously means that they're they're looking in a mirror and literally seeing a different person than you and I see. The brain's processing the data that's coming into the eyeballs differently, and they're perceiving it differently. So, uh, one of the things that Sarah and I have talked about a lot is is it possible that people literally see the world, perceive things differently when they are consumed or filled with a sense of hopefulness as opposed to someone who is not how does that change and what possible thing could we do to capture that or document that and one way that we can do it is essentially to um, give us a chance to effectively see through their eyes in the only way technologically possible at this moment and that is to ask them to go capture what they're seeing and then um allow them to provide some feedback on what that's meant to them. Um, and, and so that, that's been very interesting, but you know, one thing that we, uh, we didn't mention and I, I I'm capable of talking about it, but it might make more sense for Sarah to do it. If, if she'd like, uh, is this is, and you probably hear it in her voice, a very, very personal thing to Sarah. It, it has its Genesis is from a very personal place. It didn't just start out, completely cold as just a plain old art project. It came from um, a, a long period of time of wondering and thinking about the, the impact of hope. Is that fair, Sarah? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I should have actually just prefaced this when I was telling you, but I, I let it pass, I guess. The project started, like I said, back in 2006. And the reason why I want to discover hope or wanted to breach on that topic was because I was born with um, a rare birth defect called gastroschisis um, in the 70s. And um, it's when all of your intestines are developed outside of the stomach um, in the womb. And I was born premature in the hospital waiting room. And then I was rushed off to a children's hospital in Seattle. And I, the doctors basically said, you have a, your daughter has a 10% chance of living. There were other babies in that same year that were born with gastroschisis, and I, I believe all of them died except one little boy and me. But um, what that caused was a lot of trauma coming into the world. Um, you know, my I for three for three weeks you know they were having to put the intestines back in the stomach for a newborn baby that's quite traumatic uh, i obviously have no record of it but the point that i'm making is that coming into the world with all of that and then having your parents have to be prepared for a death of a child um and yet they still believed they still had faith they still had hope and i, I grew up and I, I'm 
I had body issues because I have a lot of scars and uh, all that stuff. I mean, I'm healthy, but but I I wanted to figure out why would what is that driving nature of hoping when there doesn't seem to be any? Is it instinctual? Is it learned? What is it? And that's how it started for me is is going back to my birth and going what made me survive? Was it really my will? Was it technology? Was it X, Y, and Z? I didn't know. But what I did understand was that there was a very, very powerful element of hope. Um, and perhaps you could call it faith, but I prefer to call it hope. And I wanted to see that. I yeah. want to see. Yeah, because it's interesting, because when you pose the question, what is hope? I think people have a very difficult time in being able to give it a definition. It's yeah. it's 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 a concept that you almost automatically use the word hope in trying to define it. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah? And the idea that using a camera and allowing them to take pictures that reflect how they see hope i think it's really uh a, really a fascinating a way of, of not only allowing them to sort of identify what gives them hope but it, it it allows you an opportunity to see how they are seeing the world how they're yeah. seeing the circumstances and how they're seeing themselves um when you're when you're doing this when you give this camera to someone and you tell them photograph hope um, do the people ask you like, what, are the, what, what, what do they ask you? Cause it's like, uh, you want me to do what would be the first thing yeah. that would pop into my head. Um, well, they obviously asked me, how do I use this thing? <laughs> 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 and I say, you see the little mountain and you see the three people, that's your focus. But, um, no, to be serious. Um, you know, I, I try not to give too much instruction, but I think most people get it. Um, whether they are able to find the inspiration in themselves is a different story and sometimes could be, present as a challenge because we're asking a lot of these people are not artists, you know? So mm -hmm. we're asking a lot of people who don't necessarily think that way to think and, and to visualize and to be conceptual about it. So some people, uh, they don't really ask that many questions other than how do I use this camera? But um, I would say that with a little bit of instruction from me, a little bit of art 101, just being able to say, hey, these are the types of things that you're capable of being able to photograph, um, helps them quite a bit to be able to see a bigger picture other than what they're normal, what they normally use to photograph. Does that make sense? No, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and let's talk okay. in terms of the limitations. I mean, one is they're dealing with the Holga. And I assume that you're only giving them like one roll of film. Um, is that right? Or you... um, I liked, uh, I think three rolls of film three are rolls, good. Okay. But then we have the unloading and loading back up. So it depends on logistics. But one, one roll would be ideal, but usually three rolls. Okay. And do you give them a time frame in which to work? Um. I'd like to. Um. <laughs> One of the challenges that we've had, I don't want to say challenges, but it's just something we've got to understand about the process is you can't push someone. They, they're only going to do it when it feels right to them. Otherwise it's just synthesized. They're just doing a job they're supposed to do. They're fulfilling an assignment. It has to be organic. It has to be something that they want to go seek out hope. Otherwise it doesn't mean anything, but, for some people who may have time time limitations, they may not have as much of a creative imagination, 
or for whatever you know emotional or experiential reason it's a little more difficult for them to face the idea of getting in touch with their emotions even though they're willing to participate in the program you know that could take longer we've had some people turn it around in a couple of days and we've had people who've literally taken uh months i guess right uh so um but but i will tell you that so far at least from my perspective what we have gotten back has for me been jaw-dropping there are images that come back that are so illuminating in terms of how that person sees the world or sees hope uh and and especially when you learn why they took those pictures and and secondly um, as uh, sarah uh, suggested they're they're often quite beautiful and uh what i love about it is this reminds me of what art is supposed to be, which is you look at a painting and you see what you see, you know, or a photograph and you see what you see. Uh, a great example is there was this one subject who we've been working with named Drew, who's a uh, um, transforming from uh, transitioning from a, a woman into a man. And uh, Sarah took this one dynamic, beautiful photograph. And you really can't tell if, what the emotion is there, what the intent is there. It's, it, you really can truly interpret whatever you want into that photograph. So whether it's the portraits or the Holga photos themselves, um, there is some dynamic artwork that results and allowing, I guess my point is allowing the participants to take their time so that it's done. You know, some people whip out a painting in a day and some people it takes months because that's their process. Mm-hmm. Although I will jump in and just to counteract that, there is something to be said about giving them a specific time frame. So yeah, that agreed. pushes and, and forces, you know, saying you've got two days to and go start, go hunt. <laughs> so there is something to be said yeah. about giving them a specific time frame. So I like your question. And it's, I, I think that that would be ideal, but it's not, necessarily always feasible we are going to find out though because we're collaborating with a human services agency up in rochester new york uh called the villa of hope ironically and uh, we're going to be working with them and some of their uh the children that they uh that they serve uh as well as it looks like a number of uh influencers and notable people within the community as well as part of a sort of launch of a hopeful movement locally in that community that's that's what the aim is to uh bring attention to the concept of hope within that that community um and the reason i bring this up is you know each kid is only going to get a day or two days or whatever the time is going to be with a camera just from a logistical standpoint because we won't be up there for months to work with them or supervise yeah you, you profile several people in in the video that's on on, on your website um, one is a soldier. One of the, uh, another one's a um, an ex convict. Um, there's also a, a kid. Um, can you tell me about one of those stories? One of those. One of those three. And what what discoveries you made as a result of collaborating with them on the on the project? I, I, I if if you don't tell this story, you have to at least mention the incredible ironic coincidence with Philip. If, even if you don't tell, tell that story. I was going to tell them what a Philip. I had, um, so Philip was one of my first ones, and this was um, in LA. And uh, I was, a friend of mine was helping me do this, and, and uh, he was the ex convict. He had been in prison for 40 something years and had killed a man in prison and was a drug and gang member, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so his, his story, quick to, I'll summarize it pretty quick, is that he was sent to jail, sent to prison for life. And I believe somewhere around halfway through, um, he got rehabilitated and then spent the rest of his time rehabilitating um, other men that was going to come in that weren't lifers, but to prevent them from becoming lifers. Anyway, um, the 
probability of him getting out was is was almost zero. Anyway, he became his own paralegal. And after 40 years or something like that, he actually got out. So that was sort of a miracle. And he is this gentle, beautiful human being of such intelligence and such wisdom. And he's um, half Native American, half um, Mexican, Native American, Latin American. Just an incredible human being and has this long braided salt and pepper hair and completely tatted. Anyway, so I went to the restaurant that he was working at that also is, I can't remember what it was called, something like, and it doesn't matter. It was a rehabilitation restaurant that lifers would come out or or prisoners would come out and and work there. Anyway, so I finally got a hold of him and he he comes to me in this beautiful gentleness and he said, I'm really sorry I haven't been able to get a hold of you or I haven't been able, I have not been in touch. And he said, my great, great grandson has this birth defect and, and uh, we don't know if he's, if he's going to survive or not. Something about his intestines being outside of his stomach. Mm. And I stood up and I said, he's got gastroschisis and he's going to be just fine. And Philip just started crying. And he said, oh, my God, this is we are destined to do this, aren't we? And I said, yeah, this is it. We're going to do it. And um, I met I met him. His name is Angel. Um, He doesn't even have a scar. (laughs) 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 He doesn't even have a scar. That's how good technology has happened. Like, damn. You got (laughs) But anyway, it was very, very emotional. And out there and meeting his family and hearing his just incredible stories. See, that to me, it makes, that's what this is. That's why this is so powerful for me personally. Because I, I get the chance to get involved with people, people's lives that I probably would not be able to get close to. Mm-hmm. And that's very powerful for me as an artist and as a person, a human being. And that's why I even do my, my work, my art so I can get close to people so I can understand them so I can learn something about me in reflection of, of them, you know, and, and these Holga photos they're they might be of, of abstract things, but there's, they're self portraits, you know, of these people. And that's what you also have to think about when you look at these Holga photos is these are in a way self portraits. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little about your own photography. Um, okay. You do some wonderful, wonderful work, um, portraits and, and, and some, a lot of conceptual stuff. But what was, tell us about what inspired you to pick up a camera in, in, in the first place. What was it about it that resonated you with so much that you felt like you needed to make this a, a part of your life? My mom was in it. She started and she never really went anywhere with it, but I saw her being interested in when I was a little kid and and that obviously stirred something inside of me. But um I've always wanted to, I've always loved art and my grandmother was an amazing, freaking amazing artist. Can I tell you exactly when that turning point was that I chose photography? I'm not sure. I know I was traveling in Australia, I was about 18 years old, and I had this camera and what, you know, and, but actually, you know what, I can tell you the turning point. My mom gave me her old Minolta film camera and I went to Mexico because that's where my father lives. And I, to this day, I think it's actually some of my best work, um, went out to this little small village and it was with film and whatnot and, uh, photographed the villagers and hung out with them and sang with them and had a beer with them and pet their horses. And and I mean, it was, there was no cars in this and it was a very moving, very moving experience. And I realized that when I have a camera, I get to go places. Mm. I was in India and I went into the shanty towns and I spent time in those shanty towns and, being a five foot one white girl with a camera probably isn't the smartest idea, but 
I was allowed in. I was allowed to watch them play, to eat, to hang out. And I realized that having that camera is a powerful way for me to be able to, again, like I said, explore people's lives, get into their secrets, what they, their habits. So that's, I think, where it started. So it definitely started in more documentary style. And then I progressed into more portraiture, editorial style stuff. And, and Mark, I, I know that, much. yeah, that, that does. Thanks. Uh, Mark, you, you are pretty diverse in your talents. Uh, but the, <clears throat> the same question to you in terms of, you know, um, creativity is a big part of your life as a filmmaker. And I saw that you're an actor and always practice photography. Yes. So, so tell me about why is that important to you? I love the question. Why is it important? Um, and, and in this case, I guess I'll take it why it's important to me, but also why it's important in general. I think even from a young age, I was taking pictures. I was, <laughs> this doesn't sound really noble, but I was building plastic models uh, when I would complete them, I would put gasoline and firecrackers in them, blow them up and take pictures of them blowing up because <laughs> I was capturing a, fl a fleeting moment. It's not that I was deep about it. I was a boy, so I was just blowing stuff up. And I'm saying, but it was about capturing that one moment, if I could, where everything was blowing up. <clears throat> and uh, I wanted to become an actor, but didn't think that was a practical uh, direction. So I went to film school instead because uh, I would still get into the entertainment world through the back door. Um, while I was in school, uh, I, I did a certain amount of uh, photographs that actually uh, at least one sits in the permanent display of the Centennial uh, exhibition for uh, Rochester Institute of Technology where uh, my alma mater and um, and and then I actually at a later time, I became a, um, a portrait photographer for a, a few years, um, certainly not a, to the dynamic level of Sarah, but, uh, you know, I was making money doing it. And the reason that people came to me and this goes to what excites me about it is as an editor, a film editor, there is one sliver, one thin moment of gauze between one moment and another. And that in between is the magic. It's the sweet spot. It's what you feel on a bat when you hit the perfect hit in baseball, you can't define it. You just know it was perfect and chasing that perfect moment where a person who does not regard themselves as attractive you capture the one moment that they would find themselves attractive, that one position or that one second. And you saw that sliver. You saw that sliver of, of sweet spot peeking through all of the other moments. And I think if you're a good artist, you can see the painting before you paint it. You can see the sculpture in there. You can see that moment in between the other moments and captured at just the right moment. And then there's more to it than that, obviously. But for me, that's, that's what has always excited me. And it's funny because uh, not, not to tell you my life story, but um, I ultimately um, didn't do film for a while and didn't do acting for a long time. And then when I was about 30, I got back into acting and through my acting, I got reinvolved with film, helping out some of the filmmakers of the films I was in. And then ultimately, I moved to New York as an actor, but have begun to immerse back into filmmaking. When I met Sarah, what moved me about the Hope Is Project was that it culminated all of these things to me. It culminated that perfect moment, seeing in between things seeing the hidden, the hidden that only that person knows or feels, but somehow we can capture that and we can see that in between, um, first of all. And second of all, what Sarah was doing was very, very artful and extraordinary, and I was, I was mesmerized by it. But also, I saw that what she was doing was important. And the opportunity to take something that I've always loved, which is 
to tell a story using imagery or sound or editing or whatever the medium is to tell a, 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 an evocative story that touches people. And while doing that, actually somehow propelling forward some sort of impact or difference yeah. is an extraordinary privilege to stumble across something like that and to be able to work with that. And some of the directions that Sarah and I have been exploring about how we can scale this as a movement, as a, a, a perennial or lasting process, uh, or even the lives that we can touch by working with the Villa of Hope, as an example, um, and other people that we're talking with, on top of just the individuals she and I have already worked with, I knew that this would be, this was one of those moments in your life that you look back on and you say, you know, at least I did that. You know, it's one of the things that's really fascinating about the project, and I see that reflected in 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 the stories uh, of, uh, of of the people that you profiled, and also in your own descriptions of it when you've been interviewed elsewhere, is this idea that hope, and in whatever way it manifests itself, is so often related with somehow not just the relationships of one person to another, but also in being able to contribute in some way to someone else, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, uh, in the case of the uh, of the person who was the soldier, you know, the veteran uh -huh. who had been injured, the whole idea that you know he takes his all the terrible experiences had as a result of his you know his participation in in conflict, his in the injuries that he suffered, and takes that. And transform it, transforms it into something bigger than himself. Where Captain, he can be extraordinary. Yeah, and that's how you hit it. He he took his trauma that he you know experienced, and then said, "Okay, I'm going to figure out how to take this pain and make it into a healing energy, and and help everybody." that he can around him. He, he's an extraordinary human being. Um, I, I really adore him. And it's people like that and people like Philip, whatnot, who have gone through so much, but have taken their situation into a level that is about giving back and about helping and about of service. And that's heroic. You know, and so I and, and, and if I, I can have an opportunity to be able to bring their stories to light and if they have an opportunity to show us and teach us what they see, that's a huge gift. Yeah, it is. And, you know, one of the quick thing that I, I think we don't want to miss out on mentioning, this is primarily an artful project. This is primarily a meaningful, touching pro project, in my opinion. But we have begun to stumble across and discover that there may be some real kind of potential, maybe, quote, scientific, unquote, maybe, maybe some real data that the process with people can potentially offer. Um, by analogy, the sun, the sun so far away looks like a big, bright blur to us from Earth because we're so far away, we can't pick up much data. But if we get very close to it, as we've recently been able to do with telescopes and so forth, we see it's a explosions and gas and many layers and colors. And, and we picked up more data and understand it just a tiny little bit more. And adds perspective. If you do this process, in addition to each and every um, story and participant that the Hope Is Project impacts and you magnify that multiply that potentially to many people what could you learn about the nature of hope by looking at this collection of data if you will of all of the these many people and what they saw through their eyes in the concept of hope you know there's so much research right now pointing to the impact of hopefulness for medicine and mental health purposes pain relief um this is this is a hot topic right now 
And who knows how the Hope Is Project itself could play into that as as another piece of of data. Um, and look, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Sarah started this a long time ago, and it's sort of hitting some sort of tipping point at this moment, perhaps. But it kind of feels like the right place at the right time. I mean, I can't imagine a, a time in quite some time that the country or the world as a whole needs to be inspired by a sense of hope. It just seems so perfect that this is happening right now and and to, to be able to have something to offer to a small or large crowd is ex- it's exciting. So what needs, to, what needs to happen? What are you guys working on now to make this this idea that you've been working on into something that is that is that that's bigger that reaches out beyond you know the small you know select few that that they have participated mm-hmm. this, thus far well there have been a few things uh, I'll, I'll start sarah please feel free to jump in of course um one thing that we've been doing is continuing to do the work continuing to work with people um and you know sarah continues to demonstrate her aptitude as a photographer you know she was just in art basel had 14 pieces in art basel unrelated to the whole project but it certainly shows a lot um i'm proud of her but it's also a a good shot in the art for us as a project that the photographer that conceived this is such an accomplished photographer you know both artistically and professional accomplishment wise so we're continuing to do the work with people the second thing is telling the story um, we're intersecting with a lot of influencers, a lot of powerful people or people in a position to help us spread the word or take action when we need them, when we have a, a, a call to action for them or, a, or an ask and kind of building up that army of influencers, if you will, that can help us really spread the word. And another thing we're doing is working with organizations like the Ville of Hope and starting to pursue and investigate other opportunities like that where it's a bit of proof of concept and it's a bit of um, uh, trying to um, have some 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 practical application of the project that will still have a very artful center uh, but outside of the scope of what we normally would do and that I think that can bring some attention and then the last thing is is our continuous effort just like being on the show of trying to do a reach out to press and get people to notice. And, you know, we've also been trying to position ourselves both in reputation, but also in practice as people of um, demonstrable perspective, uh, authority or whatever you want to call it on the nature of hope. Um, I don't know if we're authority or not, but we're, we're trying to continue to provide articles, for example, on the nature of hope, to, uh, using some of the hope is project stories that we're doing as examples and providing a context for the telling of a larger story. Um, and we have some other stories in the works right now with writers or, um, and, and, and other ways that are, are very shortly going to give a lot more exposure to the project. So from my perspective, at least, um, we're trying to uh, hit all of the approaches that we can. And um, I won't say a lot about it right now, but we're developing a project uh, that is extremely exciting and has the ability to literally hit every corner of the United States simultaneously um, in a very large way with images of hope Mm. uh, in in a way that the public will not be able to miss a good, exciting, positive way. Um, More on that as it develops, but uh, that that's a way that we can scale it while still keeping um, close to the artistic pulse of it. How how is the work that you each have done on this project shaped or changed the way that you see hope in your own lives? You know, I, I 
oftentimes think I created the hope project because it keeps giving me hope. You know, it keeps reminding me of the bigger, more important, more profound things in life. And I don't know if I'm necessarily answering your question correctly, um, but so my creating it and my participating in it, it, I feel like it allows me to have hope. And um, working with Mark has our collaboration, the way that we work together is amazing. Um, I think it was, you know, there was a comment that was made a while back ago. I mean, we fill in each other's gaps and um, I couldn't have gone this far without Mark because of his skills. And, um, but I think I'll end that there. Does that, does that answer your question? No, yeah, it does. And, okay. I, and I, I like to pipe in too on that, if that's all right. Yeah, please do. Um, I'm so glad that you said what you did, Sarah. And by the way, thank you for that nice thought. But um, about it's made you have hope on kind of a regular basis or be thinking about it or whatever. To me, that's what the Hope is Project has done, uh, which is pretty much every day. I'd say every day I'm thinking about hope. I'm thinking about the word hope. I'm thinking about the concept of hope. I'm thinking about the messaging of our project. If you think about hope every day, how can that not seep into your consciousness or your subconsciousness? And that to me plays into part of the fabric of this project. Just again, from my perspective, and that is, we're asking people to go and look for hope. You know, you put someone on a diet, they might be capable. It's a horrible example, but they might be capable of doing the diet on their own, but they might need some encouragement or they might need a process or they might need a path or they might need a plan or whatever it is, motivation to, to, to actually do it on their own, even though they could technically do it on their own. Similarly, but more profoundly, with the Hope is Project, we're, you know, there is no magical portal someone's stepping through per se. But what's happening is, is they're they're giving a they're given away. The participants are given away a method, a a, a process, um, something they can hold in their hands and go look for hope. And just the process of doing that begins to. Um, cause they're thinking about it. They're looking for it and it begins to remind you that it's there out of sight, out of mind in a way. And then if you start looking for it, you realize that there are things that you think of as hopeful. Mm. So I'm reminded of those every day. You know, that's like the hope is project times a thousand. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend a photographer, another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer- Could be alive? Or yeah. I mean, could they be dead? Yeah, it can be anyone. So uh, just, and just explain why. Um, Fred Elms, because even though he's a cinematographer, the way that he photographs, the way that he does his pictures reminds me he, a lot of it to me, he's a photographer almost, not even a cinematographer. The way that those shots are set up. Is that a fair answer? No, that's good. Did I cheat? No, 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 that's good. There's no cheating here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say Francesca Woodman, who committed suicide. She jumped out of her hall, or her New York apartment building. And I say that, and she died in 1981 said because i studied her there's a, there's a few photographers that i really studied that would be um uh but she was she was one of them and very powerful self-portraits very intimate very engaging um but it's a sad story and and i could have my story wrong but maybe an old wives tale told me that she committed suicide because she never believed that she would become famous or she would become the fashion photographer that she always wanted to be. And now she's so freaking famous and dead. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know, I mean, the it, it's an irony, it's a joke, it's cliche, but her stuff is. I just wanted to see what she would have become, you know. And Deanne Arbus, oh, huge, huge fan. Like, I think Deanne Arbus probably had the most influence on me. Well, that's a great recommendation. Um, yeah. So where can people go to find out more about, about the project and you guys? Well, you can check us out at hopeisproject.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Hope is project if you go to the website i encourage you to sign up for to follow us because uh we'll have a lot of new content coming and i uh, want to make sure that people have a chance to see it Great. and also i think if people want to see my personal work my photography um you can go to would be to go to takako.com so that's t-a-k-a-k-o.com or sarahtskinner.com. They both go to the same link. So, okay. Well, thank you guys for, for reaching out and for making the time uh, for me this evening. It really was a pleasure to, to speak with you. Thank you very so, much. Yeah, thank you for giving us time on your show to allow us to share this with, uh, with more people. And um, um, congratulations on all of your success as well. Thanks, man. And thank you for your compelling questions. Thanks again for joining me. Please remember that you do make a big difference in our show. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store and make a small contribution to the show. It all goes a very long way. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.